0: Hey City Life family, Uh, it's a joy to gather with you all this morning to worship Jesus, praise Him, and and hear from Him. Uh, My name is Mo, I'm one of the pastors here um, for the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through what we call our core team series or so our core values. Uh, we've been talking about our distinctions as a family. And so uh, we started out two weeks ago with down, which is Jesus came down uh, to make a relationship with us. So it's the gospel. And, and what we found is, is that that is what connects us to God. And that's good news for us, right? That Jesus came down, died for our sins, and rose from the grave so that we can have new life. And then uh, last week, Austin just did a fantastic job of, of showing us one of the three responses uh, to that gospel, and that's up. It's formation. And, and simply put, it's, it's how God, the process by which God makes us more like Jesus. He transforms our heart into the likeness of his son. And so today, uh, we're going to talk about in. Uh, in is family. So you're going to hear this a lot around here. We're going we're to talk about that at City Light, that we are a a family. But here's the tension. Uh, the tension is we, we agree with that truth that if you're a Christian that we are family and you're a part of that family. But at times we function simply as a group of strangers who have similar beliefs and thoughts um, and might ascribe to similar goals. And so what distinguishes us from other types of fellowship? And so, for example, just last night, less than, about a little over a mile away, 95,000 people gathered, and they went even multi-site with that gathering, right? There were people in their homes, some of you in your homes, watching the game, and they have similar beliefs and values and goals. Like, I I think most people watching the game uh, wanted them to win the game, and then if you look at the, the future goals of this family or fellowship is is that man they want to win a big 10 championship and then they also which I don't know what's going to happen after last night but um, what they would also like to happen is to play in a bowl game other than the Alamo Bowl right like that's the goal for that that fellowship and it might not happen that way but that's the that's the goal and then that group of people who watch this game and watch this team if the team loses well they feel that, right? We feel that loss. And, and if they win, we, we take ownership over that win. And, but here, here's what happens, though. Um, after the game is over, people go out of the stadium, out of their homes, into their cars, and then they drive back and go back the way they were when they came, right? They go about their weeks, and they're not any more connected or involved with each other than they were when they first got there. And, and, and I'm sad to say this, but much of the church is like this as well. We, we, we praise, we, we cheer on Jesus, and, and we have similar goals and beliefs, but, but we leave the game on Sunday morning no more connected, no more engaged with one another than we were when we came. May that never be the family of God. May that never be the city-like family that, that meets here. And so my, my desire this morning is, is to show you what God's desire is for His family. And so if, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, uh, I'd like you to open it up to 1 John uh, chapter 1, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Uh, my, point, my first point, though, is, is that Jesus is the foundation of our fellowship. Jesus is the foundation of our fellowship. Uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is, it, is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things to you, so our joy may be complete. So when John, the apostle, uh, starts right off the gate in verse 1 and 2, what, what he says, he says, I've seen, I've heard, I've felt, I've touched. What's he talking about? Jesus, I, I've seen him, he, he's not simply speaking of a message that they're proclaiming of, of words, but an actual life, an actual person, and, and it's not just this, this platitude of, here's how you get to heaven, but he's saying, no, the, the person that I've touched, the, the life that I've experienced, the person that I've seen and heard, I proclaim to you, is true life. It's the person, Jesus Christ, the gospel. It, it's not just a, a true message, but, it, but, it's, but it's a person. It is Jesus. It's where we find life. And so uh, what he's telling us, I mean, essentially, he's saying, hey, I am an eyewitness to that reality. I saw the risen Lord. I saw his life. I heard his message with my own ears. It was real. I saw it. I did it. I experienced it. And, and, and this is the foundation of fellowship with God. This is the foundation of fellowship with God. The person and work of Jesus is what bonds us in fellowship with God the Father. It's not by our morals or our values or our ethic or what kind of music we might listen to on a regular basis or whether or not we like each other. It's not about that. What it is about is Jesus. Now, presumably, John is writing this book to a church, right? And so you have to ask the question, Why would he why would he write this part to a church? Like, why does he have to explain the gospel one more time and remind them of the gospel? Well, simply put, we forget, right? Like we forget the gospel. We're tempted to fall in the trap of looking to other things that will fill us up or or satisfy us. As Austin put it last week, he said this. He said, Jesus commands for us to to seek him isn't out of a tyrannical rule over us, but it's out of an overflowing heart that says, you won't find what you're looking for here. On earth, the life that we're given in fellowship with the Father starts and ends and finds its meaning in Jesus. You want something deeper than Jesus? Well, let me paint a picture for you God, of the universe, creator of all things. He says, and the universe goes into existence, right? Then He forms the earth and then He adds things to it. So He adds the water, the, the sun, the, 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 the uh, animals, the plants, and all of that, and then He creates humanity. He makes a man, right? And what the Bible would tell us is that Jesus was there. In fact, he wasn't just there. He was a part of the process of forming and shaping all of that. So he's looking on it, and God creates the apex of humanity, and God had the audacity in chapter 2 of Genesis to say, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates a woman. He creates Eve, and they live together in this perfect fellowship with God. But here's what happened. Those two people sinned. They sinned against the God who loved them. The the apex of creation sinned. And our text in verse 2 says that Jesus was there too. He was at that moment when our original parents made the relationship with God, fellowship with God impossible by human means. The door of Eden, the presence of God was shut off from us because they had broken God's heart and his law by choosing themselves over him. And yet Jesus was there. Jesus was there, and he still chose to say, you know what? I'm going to come after you. And, and I'm not going to come after you to do battle on you, but to do battle for you. And, and that's what Jesus did. He, he's, he lived a perfect life that you and I, nor Adam and Eve could ever lived, and said, I'm going to give that away. And he defeated sin, death on the cross, and restored that fellowship with God that was ruined by Adam and Eve. That's the Jesus that we're talking about. That's the one that that he's talking about, that I felt him, I touched him, I heard him. What a beautiful grace that we get to behold. And may we never forget the reality of that. It's true. It's real. He's all-satisfying. He's all-consuming. He is the fulfillment of all of our inner and external desires that we might have. He fulfills us. He sustains us. He is the longing of our soul. He, He meets that. You don't move past fellowship that's like that. You don't move past a relationship that's like that. We, we sometimes forget it, and we might even be tempted to, to grow bored with the gospel and bored with its reality and start to belittle that message. But man, may it never be. Let's keep fighting for that message in our hearts. May we fight for the Jesus to be more and more beautiful in us than he was yesterday. Verse 3 and 4 says this, so that you, too, may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So let me give a definition of that word fellowship. I've said it a few times now. It's the act of sharing in the activities or privileges of an intimate association or group. It's an intimate communion. Jesus didn't just die so that we can be forgiven for our sins, but he actually made a way for us to have fellowship, intimate community with one another as the family, as the family of God. And that's what I mean by in. It's not just some group of people getting together and acknowledge some of the same things. No, it's, it's an intimate family that would commune with one another. You see it? You see, Jesus not only is the foundation of our fellowship with God the Father, but he's also uh, the, the foundation for our relationship here with each other. We were never meant to just associate with one another or believe some of the same things, but we were meant to be a family John, in this particular epistle, he, he often refers to God as Father and us, people who follow Jesus, as brothers and sisters. And, and I don't think that's an accident, and I, and, I, and I think it carries a really deep implication for us. In, in Matthew 6, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray by praying, what's the first thing he says? Our Father. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing that we, when we pray, we get to call God Father, that he gets to be our daddy God, and, and the implication of that lived out. We have to ask the question, if he is my father and that's how I see him, how does he see me? Well, let me tell you, I'm a dad, so I know a glimpse of that. So I have four kids. They're wonderful, right? And, and when I, in some weeks, There's some days and some times when I'm not bogged down by the day-to-day runnings of the life. I'm not looking at the next thing to do, and I look at my kids, and I say, wow, they're beautiful. I love them. They're so precious to me. I admire them. I I admonish myself in them just, just looking at them. They're special to me. Yes, they disobey and they do things that I don't agree with. However, that doesn't change the way I feel about them. It'll never change that. And guess what? Even greater so, that's how the Father looks at you. That's how he's enamored with you. So when we say that God is our Father, that's how he looks at us. So if that's true, if he he looks at us in that way, then how should we look at our siblings? How ought that look because of that as an implication? Well, 1 John 3.16 actually looks very similar to John 3.16. So John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he sent his son to die, right? As a gift. Well, 1 John 3.16 also says that he sent his son, but but he adds something to it at the end of that. Here's what he says. He says, By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We ought to lay down our lives for Who? The brothers, right? If you look at that word brothers, it actually simply means siblings. So that's how we're interconnected. We have our daddy God and we have each other, our brothers and sisters. Listen, I don't think that we always see our family in Christ as just as valid as our biological family. We've been adopted in God's family. We have deep, intimate connectedness with each other because of the blood of Jesus. We've partaken in the grace of God. And so I don't care if you, if you just came to know Jesus first thing this morning, or you've been walking with God for the last decades. You're my brother, or you're my sister. We are actually family. It's real. And I think that's God's desire here. I think his desire is is that the more we experience Jesus, the more we understand our relationship and our fellowship with God, the more we start to experience and and, and experience that deep, intimate relationship with one another, the more we see how valid, how real that is, that we are a family. Now, some of us in the room might say, but but they're not blood. My family is connected by a bloodline. Need I remind you that God's family is also connected by a bloodline. It's the blood of Jesus. His sacrifice alone was, was a deep blood for us that he has shed that we might become real and living and active family in his family. Jesus says, Matthew twelve forty six through 50, here's what he says. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my brother and who is my, my my mother? And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he said, "Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother." Now Jesus and myself are not taking this as an opportunity to belittle the value of our biological familial relationships. That, that's not what's happening here. What, what's happening is we're trying to emphasize and say, man, this deep reality importance is the family of God. As we submit to one another under the banner of Jesus, as we submit to the Father out of love for Jesus, it's a real thing. It's important. We need to emphasize it. We have fellowship with one another. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what cultural upbringing you have. It doesn't matter what social back background that you have. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is not because we're awesome, but because Jesus is awesome and made us a family. That's what matters. He is the foundation of our fellowship. As with any other relationship, though, it's, it's, not, it's not simply just to declare it and we're tight, right? It, it doesn't usually work that way. And so, so, so how do we realize that? How do we see it in its completion well, my second point is Jesus is the completion of our fellowship. You might not recognize this, but we say Jesus a lot because it's important. <laughs> in verse 5, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So in verse 5, John starts out with God again. And when he says that God is light, he also says that there's no darkness in him. He's explaining how the gospel is essential to not only the beginning of our fellowship with God, the Father, but also for its continuation. So, so the way I've explained it is this. So to know my mom growing up is to know a lady who, like, she had a pretty high standard of cleanliness, okay? She liked the house clean. So give you an example. If my mom had an all-white kitchen, okay, and it was clean, so I'm talking, like, white floors, white cabinets, white countertops, the walls are painted white, and it's sparkling, like nothing is dirty and then she's got her white dress on and white shoes and she's standing in that kitchen just admiring it like yeah that's good and I'm standing outside in the back door and mind you my mom loves me okay if I'm standing at the back door and I got muddy shoes muddy clothes and I've been poor standing in the pouring rain do you think my mom's gonna let me walk into that pretty white kitchen Uh uh-uh It ain't going to happen. Mom is not going to let that happen. I bet not walk in there with dirty shoes, okay? And in the same way, you can somewhat glimpse the holiness of God because sinful man cannot enter the kingdom of God with their dirty shoes and clothes. Our sin, our darkness, separates us from God and makes our eternal destiny hell. Separation from God's grace and under the wrath of God. But don't you see that? That's why Jesus had to come. He had to come because though we have our dirty clothes on, he comes in and says, let me take your dirty clothes and have my clean white ones, and now you can walk in. That's what the need of Jesus is. But we still have this problem, right? Like When we think about it, though, if we still have this issue of our own sin, Like we still have that with us. We talked a little bit about it last week, and here's what Ravi Zacharias, a pastor and theologian, says about that. He says there's a purpose to life, and sin is the violation of that purpose. What is life's purpose? Well, the Bible makes it clear that the ultimate purpose of God for us is communion, close relationship with the Father. No union, not, not just submission or being absorbed into his being, but a communion with him. And, and so when it comes to that, then, then how do we deal with that issue then? If we've been made clean by Jesus, how do we deal with the continuance of Of sin and 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 I think our passage outlines three ways that you can are three ways that you don't deal with that in fellowship and three ways that you do, okay. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the first three uh, the the ways we don't the bad news first. Uh, So the the first word I use is phony and then deluded and blasphemer. And, And honestly, these these are the ways by which the world might manifest fellowship in a lot of ways. And so first, the phony. Verse six says that we can't walk in darkness or sin and have Fellowship with God. Now, for some of us who've been here for a while, you know that's confusing, right? Because we say you're saved by grace through faith alone and only in Jesus, right? And yet this one is saying, But if you walk in darkness, you can't have fellowship with God. And so let me explain that real quick. So what John is not saying is that all of a sudden God's cleansed you, and if you sin, you're done. You're out. That that's not what he's saying here. What he is saying though is that If you are a follower of Jesus, something should be different. Your life should no longer be going in the direction of darkness, but into the direction of light. Now, are we going to do that perfectly? No. No, we have sinned, we will sin, and we will continue to do so. However, he's saying, man, is there light in your heart? Do you have an experience? Do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? If that's true, then you're walking in the light. Not perfectly, because that's, that's what he's doing in you, but if you say, man, no, I'm, I'm going my way, and that's it, and God doesn't matter. Well, that's, that's the darkness that he's referring to, and he's saying, man, he's saying that that doesn't work. He's saying, if, you, if we say that we have fellowship with God, and yet are continuing on in this way, well, then you probably don't have fellowship with God. There has to be a process of walking toward Jesus. Jesus. Then verse 8 says the, the deluded. So, so here we go. We should see our sin, right? Like it's not saying that you're discounted because that you have sin, but he's saying, no, you should see it. You should not be delusional enough to say when I come to know Jesus that all of a sudden I don't sin anymore. Like that, that's not what it's saying. It's saying, man, what would be the point of Jesus if you don't sin anymore? You wouldn't, if you were capable of doing that yourself, there would be no need for Jesus. So if we can't see that we have sin against God, there's no need for Jesus. And without Jesus, there's no fellowship with God. If you and I could be perfect, there would be no need for Jesus. And finally, the blasphemer, verse 10. It points out that the person would, that would deny that they've ever sinned at all. So, so not only would there be no need for Jesus, but they're also pointing to God and saying, you're a liar. Romans 3.23 says this, and this is God's word. He says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word all means everybody. Now let me pause for a second. If you're a person in the room who's not a follower of Jesus, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, man, if you're a Christian, you're better than anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus. Because we're not, quite frankly. If you watch us in the way we behave sometimes, that's not the case. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we all are better off if we have a relationship with Jesus, that we all need Jesus. We all need fellowship with God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, and with one another. That's the fellowship that I think you and I all desire. Now, the way our fellowship looks is different, though. And so it, we'll look at verse 7 with me. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, so the thing that binds us right there is the blood of Jesus Christ. As we walk in light, walk in the general trajectory of God in our life, he slowly in processes through cleansing us, right? So it's not just a, a behavior modification, all of a sudden I'm at a good person. No, it's a heart transformation toward God. And we're not alone in this, is what he's pointing out, that we have fellowship with one another through this. You don't have to do the battle alone. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And so in that struggle, we have a bond and that he's provided a beautiful fellowship with one another to battle that sin. Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So he's already forgiven them, right? We know that he's faithful in that. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so when we confess our sin, we're confessing that we desperately need Jesus. And, and that we're secure in that relationship with him. That we know for certain that Jesus, if we confess our sins, he has already forgiven us. It's done. It's over with. Jesus paid it all. But, it, it, but sometimes what, what happens if we don't find a security in that relationship... Then we start to leverage other relationships to appease God, to make God happy. We start to use people to try to fix them and make them better so that God might be happy with us. But but if we have confidence in our relationship with God, our vertical relationship with God, horizontally, we stop looking at people as projects and just people that we can love and care for as our family. There's just a different view, there's a purity to that fellowship. Okay, so all of that sounds great, right? But, but seriously though, it's, it's not easy, right? Uh, let me confess, I hesitate to confess my sin to other people. That's hard to do. In, in my mind, the first thing that goes ahead is like, I don't know you that well, bro, and you don't know me that well. So why would I give my heart to you? But then you have to ask the question though. How long is enough? How long do you have to know a person for you to give your heart to them in that way? What do I have to hide from them? What do, we ha- what do we need to disguise our sin with? How long would that be in relationship with someone? If I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and he is faithful and just to forgive me of all unrighteousness, because I have a lot of unrighteousness, then why couldn't I just confess it to a brother or sister? In the midst of our family, why couldn't I just confess it? If, if my security is not in my relationship with this person, but in the person of Jesus, why can't I? Jesus Savior and God, makes us a family and creates, sustains, and produces true and real fellowship with one another. So why not just be open and honest with each other? We all still have sin, right? We know that. We know we have a mess in us and so why not bond with our family and work through some of that together patiently as God continues the process of making us more like Jesus? So City like this isn't just a, a true doctrine for us. It's not just some ideas that we want to put out, but we, we actually our hope our prayer is that we would experience that with this family. And, and so the way we see that best is through our city groups. The best manifestation of in family is through our city groups. And so when we scatter throughout the week... Uh, this is where we see those core values played out. This is where we see true and utter biblical, authentic fellowship. So, so can I take a moment and promote/slash coach on city groups? Well, good. I have a mic, so you can't say anything anyway. Uh, so, I love our city groups. Like, I think our city groups are amazing. Like. We've been a church for like five seconds, and we already have eight city groups throughout the city, and we have eight more that are about to be launched throughout the college ministry with City like you. and I think it's beautiful because these are groups of 15 to 40 people gathering in homes, sharing food together, looking at God's, and hearing God's word put together. They're loving one another. They're loving our city all together. These are beautiful things that Jesus has done for us. And many of you in the room would probably say, man, the reason why I'm still a part of this family is because I'm a part of an authentic community that I love, right? Truth is, if Austin, I, or any of the other guys come up here and preach a really great sermon and the worship's on point, thank you, Brett, it was really good this, today. Um, if, even if all of those things go really, really, really well, we're still probably not a lot better than a Husker football team after a game, we're still not any more connected than we were before the game started. It doesn't produce authentic, intimate community. So the life of a Christian consists of confession, receiving of God's forgiveness and grace, and repentance, which means turning from our sins and going the other direction. But we aren't meant to do that alone. So if you want to walk with Jesus and experience true fellowship, first John explains that, man, you've you got to get plugged in. And so simply put, here, let me put it plain to you, get in a city group. Like, that, that's how easy it is. Get in a city group. We got two different ways you can do that, just so happen. You can plug into an existing one. Like I said, we have eight of those. Or if you're a college student, talk to Nate. Nate knows all the other ones that are going on for college students. But then next week, right here, actually, no, it's right over there. Uh, at 9.30, we're going to have group launch. We're going to start new groups. We want you to be a part of the family. That's the way you do it. And uh, Ricky, by the way, is going to be the one doing that. We want, we want you to be in authentic community. Second, so I think of myself as a very realistic parent, okay? So, so what I mean by that, I think my kids are amazing. They're wonderful. However, I also know of their areas of development. And so when I speak of our city groups, they are amazing, like a beautiful family, but I want more. By Jesus' grace, I want more authentic, more uh, a communion with one another. And so here's some questions. If you're a part of a city group or if you're, if you're joining a city group to ask just to see like man, are we growing in this community? Are we growing in fellowship? Are we just clicking through the questions on the discussion most weeks and not really getting to know the people in our group? Do do we do we give people room to struggle? Are you personally, not just the leaders, but are you confessing sin? Are you being real and honest with one another? Can we ask how you're doing and not have the proverbial mask put on and say, I'm fine? Can can we actually take that off and say, yeah, I'm not doing great. It hasn't been a great week. If we have nothing to prove in Jesus, you can do that. You can be honest. And and let me tell you something. It's going to get messy. If you open up that door, it's going to get messy. But man, if you look at the Bible since Genesis 3, it's been messy. It hasn't changed much. But thankfully, through the, the beauty of Jesus, we can start to see God form and shape each other's life patiently through his grace. So here's some things you can try in your city group. Start to share your stories. Like once a week, have one person share, man, here's how I met Jesus, and here's what he's done, done with me. Or, or take an in night, which my city group just did this last week. Make sure you have food. Don't, don't do a city group without food. But hear, hear, hear me out. Hear me out. Don't just play games and watch a football game. Now, it's good to do those things and have fun. We should do that. But but take one of your in nights and say, hey, we're going to just check the oil a little bit. Ask each other, man, how's your soul? How's your walk with Jesus? And ask, man, what's going on in your life? Like, really, what's going on? Like, make some room for that. Spend some time praying specifically for one another. And then if you're already in a city group, get in a huddle. Everyone should be in huddles. They're, they're basically small two to four people groups, that, uh, groups of, of, of men or groups of women who, who go through scriptures together, challenge one another, confess sin to one another, call out the gospel in each other's life, and we pray. It's beautiful. It's a brotherhood. It's a sisterhood that we can have. And, and let me say this. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? Get in a city group. Okay, I still want you in a city group. I still want you to show up. That's a beautiful place for you to say, man, I have these doubts. I have these questions. Good. I promise you, in that room, you're going to have somebody say, I've had that doubt or I have one currently. And so it's a beautiful place for you to experience authentic, beautiful community that is only centered around the person and work of Jesus. And further, if you have any questions about city groups, our boy Ricky Kennedy is the guy to ask. He's, he's, he oversees all of those things, but you can also ask any of our staff. We want you to get plugged in. We want you to be in authentic fellowship with your brothers and sisters. So what would it look like? What would it look like to be a family, a church, that's less like a football game and more like the family that Jesus intended us to be? What would it look like to be a family that says, hey, we're going we're to make much of Jesus by admitting that we desperately need him. That's what Jesus calls us into. That's the family that he, his blood purchased on the cross for. Just let's, let's be a family that Jesus paid for. Let's be a, Jesus that, a family that trusts Jesus for those things. Amen? Let's pray.